Welcome everyone to another podcast. I'm Brother Danny, and today uh, we have in the studio, Brother Lee. Hello everyone, welcome to In the Night House Podcast. Uh, it's very excited to be here, and we have a very special uh, guest today. Uh, we have with us, uh, he's actually doing a revival services for us here at In the Lighthouse. We have Reverend Scott Wilson from uh, Little Rock, Arkansas. And we have a very special topic today. Uh, it's 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 a can be a heavy and emotional topic, and we have the right man here to present this. And we believe that it's going to be a blessing to everyone here today. And uh, so, Reverend Scott Wilson, we're going to get into it a little bit, uh, and we're going to be talking about loss and grief. Because uh, and a lot of us, and I myself, are going to be hearing the story for the first time, as well as many of you. But we, um, uh, before we get into the topic, I do want to say we have had great revival services here. With with Brother Wilson, and you can find those on the In the Lighthouse uh, website under uh, Media and Sermons. So, so Brother Wilson, why don't you tell us a little bit about it? And uh, first of all, we're going to talk about, to understand it's going to be about your wife. And how about, how, how did you meet your wife? And tell us a little bit about your background. Well, first of all, it is good to be here, and I thank you for the invitation. And I am also thankful to God who has kept his hand upon me and upon my family during this time of grief. My wife and I met whenever we were very young. The first time I saw her, we were actually in elementary school. But I did not meet her until the night or the week that she received the Holy Ghost. And she was 19 years old at the time, and I was... 17 or 18 years old. And the night that she received the Holy Ghost, the Lord spoke to me that night and told me that she that she would be my wife. And just to watch what God did was was amazing. I had a friend of mine that had witnessed to her for a year and finally she came to church. And the Spirit of the Lord moved upon her. She was a college girl studying to be, uh, at that time, to be a pediatrician. The visiting minister was preaching on faith, and she didn't understand what he was saying and thought that he was preaching against doctors and walked out. A few services later, she was back because the Lord was dealing with her. And that night... Uh, it was a teaching service, but our pastor uh, obeyed the Lord in teaching, and she heard the word, went to the altar, repented, went to the water, had never heard anyone speak in tongues in her life. But when she broke the water, she was speaking in other tongues, thus being the first person that she ever heard speak in tongues. This started her on a journey. She never looked back. She fell in love with truth. She fell in love with this doctrine. And we married a year and four months later, and she was a wonderful wife, very godly. And I thank God because she had many qualities that I learned through the years that helped make me what I am today. Wow. Um, how, did, how, did you, um, how did you enter the ministry I received the Holy Ghost on December the 14th, 1968. I was seven years old. And that night at home, my mother uh, made me a little sandwich, and I was sitting with her talking. And we were both so excited that I had received the Holy Ghost. And while we were sitting there, I felt something move on the inside of me. And I just spoke out. I said, Mom, I'm going to preach. And from that moment, from that moment, the hand of the Lord was upon me. And, of course, I went through childhood and adolescence and my teen years. And by the time uh, I was in my teen years, there were many, many problems in our home. And I had pretty much given up on the idea of preaching until I was 17 years old. And one night in a camp meeting, beyond a doubt, I knew that God had called me to preach. And I preached my first message a year from the night that I actually felt the call to preach. 
at 17 years old. And then at 18 years old, I preached my first message and have been in the ministry ever since. Wow, from 18 years old. So then, and, and at what age again were you married, and what, what uh, uh, part did your wife play in your ministry? My wife and I were married on April the 11th, 1981. I was 19, and she was 20. One funny uh, in this is when she would become upset with me about something, I would tell her, but I'm just a teenager. <laughs> and she was redheaded, and that would kind of make the red hair flare a little bit. But uh, she was the most mild-mannered redhead you'd ever meet, and a very kind and very sweet. But uh, I was 19, and she was 20 whenever we, we married. Well, I got some red hair in me. It may not look quite red now. We're looking through some old pictures my wife had, uh, <laughs> going through some old pictures of my mom's house the other day. And, and yeah, I was definitely redheaded. So I understand what you're talking about. Well, we're going to go ahead and get right into it here, if you can. Uh, if you're comfortable with it, um, Reverend, uh, would you mind just kind of talking to us a little bit about the circumstances around your, uh, your wife's passing? All right. My wife had a family history of heart disease. She had lost her mother. She had lost her father. She had actually lost a brother seven weeks before she passed away uh, in 09. My wife was a twin, and in 09, she lost her twin brother. And in the early 2000s, uh, she lost a brother. So she was the fourth sibling in her family to die suddenly, the way that she died. And so we knew that it was possible. She and I had talked about it. We had talked about it with our children. And we knew that it was possible, although she had no symptoms that we knew of at the moment. And we... Um, uh, were, it was a shock because we we were not expecting it. We weren't ready for it. And I had just come in from a revival or gone in from a revival, and we were leaving the next day to go celebrate our 35th wedding anniversary. And I awakened that morning. It was March the 31st of 2016, I wake in that morning at 6 o'clock and very shortly realized that somewhere in the night the Lord had come and had taken her. And it was, it was a shock. It was very traumatizing to, to all of us. We weren't prepared for this. And, but we thank God that it was quite peacefully and there was no pain. She uh, she just slipped out in the night into the arms of the God that had saved her. Um, <clears throat> Reverend, how did your faith and your walk with God um, help you through through this time of grief that you went through? First of all, grief isn't something that just passes and doesn't return. But grief is an ongoing process. Whenever a loved one is lost uh, and we, we grieve, it is, there, are many, there are many things that come with that grieving process, in that grieving process. And faith in God is so important to help us make it through the grief. Everybody goes through grief at this time. Uh, but one thing that we told our pastor, or I told our pastor when he first came to our home, was my children and I had already built a relationship with God, and we didn't have to build a relationship with God in this moment. And we were so thankful Many people try to build a relationship with God in a moment of grief or pain or trouble, and there, are, there is a lack of confidence in knowing that God hears and that God is there. 
But when we build a relationship with God, and it's been an ongoing relationship, we know that we have instant access to the throne. And that peace that passeth all understanding is there to help us. And I'm thankful uh, that we did build that relationship. Early on, while in prayer, I asked God, how, how do I get through this? And God said to me, just get as close as you can to me, and I'll get you there. I will, I will see you through. The most important thing about getting through the grief process as a child of God is God has given us a great communication with him called prayer. Prayer is simply talking to God. There are times when we feel the presence of God, and there are times when we don't feel the presence of God. But nevertheless, God still, he still hears us when we pray. It doesn't matter whether we feel him or not. He is still, he's there. Uh, I had friends and my family during this time who stressed to me the importance of continuing my ministry and getting back in the pulpit as soon as possible. I had one friend, pastor friend from Louisiana, who had been through this, had lost his wife. And he called me and he said, he said that his experience was that he felt compelled to get back in the pulpit as soon as possible. Well, my answer to that was I... I don't feel compelled to get in the pulpit. I'm actually afraid that I can't handle the pressure and and I didn't want to break down in front of everybody. And, but he told me, he said, you will find that for the preacher, for the minister, there is great refuge and protection and safety in that pulpit. I had another friend of mine who really stressed to me that I needed to get in the pulpit as soon as possible and invited me to preach for him the first time. I thought I couldn't do it, but when I stepped into the pulpit, I felt the presence of God, and that pulpit literally did become a place of safety and refuge for me, so much so that many times as I was preaching and realized that I was coming to the end of the message, I would actually dread closing out the message. And I've been blessed. The ministry has been such a blessing to me in this grieving process. And so that is one thing that's really, really helped me. It's really helped me to, uh, to get through is the ministry and prayer and people of God, uh, I have been completely surrounded. I I hear that many times a few weeks after or a couple of months after the death and loss of a loved one that people go about their business and just go on with life and the grieving person is left to carry much of it by themselves. That has not been my story. I have been surrounded completely by the ministry, by my family, by saints of God that I pastored through the years. Um, uh, friends have uh, constantly, every week now, at first it was every few hours, and then it was every few days, and then now it's at least two or three times a week. It's been a year and seven months, and I still have many phone calls, people checking on me, caring about me. I'm blessed. I've been so blessed. And they, this is what has helped me to get through this process. Well, you know, you have 35 years roughly of marriage and ministry with your wife. Well, can you tell us maybe some of the roles and what part does she actually play in your ministry? First of all, when I was just a young preacher, I, I prayed for God to give me a praying wife. And he answered that prayer. My wife was a talented singer. I didn't know she could sing until after we were married, but I knew that she knew how to pray. Even as a new convert, she had a touch. She had a, an ability to 
enter into the throne room of God and to hear from God. And so she was she was a praying woman, very consistent in prayer, very faithful. And I had great confidence that no matter where I was, whenever I would be preaching, whether she was sitting on the pew in the congregation or whether we were states apart, I knew that my wife was praying, that she was praying for me. As a pastor's wife, because we both pastored and evangelized through the years, as a pastor's wife, she had what I called a mothering spirit. People were drawn to her because she was just like mom to everybody. And that was such a help to to me and to so many people as we pastored. She had the ability to talk with people with wisdom to explain to them why they needed to to do more for God or do less of what they were doing in life. And she had this way of getting through to people whenever I, I couldn't. And I've said many times uh, in the churches that I pastored, they they might tolerate me. They loved her, but they might tolerate me. <laughs> and and so it was. So it was so true. And she was a very talented person. But as an evangelist wife, uh, she traveled with me when possible. And the last couple of years, she traveled with me most of the time. But she was a medical transcriptionist. Uh, working for hospitals for over 30 years. She went back to college and received a bachelor's degree in health information and became a medical coder for a woman's hospital in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, but at home in North Little Rock. She was uh, very uh, bright. You know, she was a very smart, intelligent person. And she used this to help me in my ministry by uh, supplementing income. And, and uh, plus, she was able to be home to raise the children. And, and this really helped me. And then whenever she would go with me evangelizing, you know, she would sing. And she worked the altars. She was a good altar worker. And... Uh, just such a blessing, such a blessing to my ministry. Well, that sounds sounds like a, a great help help meet. Yeah. She was also an organizer. She was she was quite organized in everything that she did, and I'm not, <laughs> you know. So she was the balance. She was the balance there, and was able to just put uh, many things together, you know that that I couldn't. I thank God for that. Well, you know, I think as as God brings, um, when He truly unites a couple, uh, I've my wife and I have helped uh, some uh, premarital counseling, and and uh, it's interesting how you know some people say you got to have everything in common and do everything exactly like. But you know what? I think when you complement each other and have differences, those can be actually strengths. Yes, you know? that is true. And when a couple realizes that the other one has strengths that they don't have and they blend their strengths they can really be useful in the kingdom of God because God does put people in our life that you know that uh, will help us I have a greater understanding of what the Bible is talking about when it says that you know God gave Adam Adam a help meet for him and that's a great study. Uh, well, moving on a little bit here, you know, um, Christians and non-Christians, we go through these. And if you haven't, you know, if you're listening now and you haven't really gone through a significant time of loss, um, I hate to say it, but more than likely you will. Um, but they face uh, some similar things such as shock and denial and pain and guilt, anger, bargaining, depression, reflection, loneliness. Can you uh, maybe discuss a little bit how it's different for a Christian uh, in restructuring their world and working through these times of loss versus maybe a non-Christian? 
Well, as we talked a few moment minutes ago about, and we touched on this on this subject, there is quite a difference. So many people who do not have God turn to alcohol, they turn to drugs, they even you know they turn to something that will take away the pain, something that will take away guilt or depression, and. All of us, most all of us, go through these stages of grief. What some people do not understand is just because we go through one stage doesn't mean we won't go back to that stage because there are stages that you go back to over and over again. But these are stages in that they are actually real and Again, prayer, prayer is the main, you know, we must develop a prayer life. We must have that close relationship with God. And prayer is is what sees the child of God through uh, because there, there are times of anger. There are times of of depression, there are times of of guilt, and what I mean by these, and, and and other stages, and what I mean by this, anger. One thing that I can honestly say is there has not been one second in this journey that I have been angry with God. And now I can't say I haven't asked God questions. There are those that would tell us that. Uh, we're not supposed to question God. What that means is we are not supposed to question God's sovereignty, His authority, His position as God, His decisions, what He does. But I find in the Word of God that Job asked God somewhere between 200 and 300 questions. We find where David asked God questions. We find where the prophets asked God questions. The disciples, the apostles ask God questions. We don't find where God rebuked them or cut them off or chastised them. But we find that God blessed them. He blessed Job abundantly. He fought David's battles for him. He he brought to pass the prophecies, uh, prophets who questioned. And so the main the main thing about questioning God is our attitude toward God. And whenever we ask God questions, what we're actually doing is worshiping Him because we're saying, God, I'm not sufficient. I'm not all that I need to be. I've got questions and I've got problems and I have confusions and I need a God in my life. And you're the God that I have chosen. And I lean on you, and I ask you to help me. And and, and God does that. In uh, reading and the Word in preparation for today, there's a scripture that really stands out to me, and it's a very familiar scripture to most everyone, and it's when the psalmist David said in Psalm 23, he said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. I have an understanding in this that I've never had, and it is it is not the person that has passed away that has walked through the valley of the shadow of death. They've actually walked through death itself. But it's those of us that are left behind that are walking in death's shadow. It's not death, but it's death's shadow. And it's in this time when we need God, we, we lean on him and depend on him to walk with us. He said, David said, uh, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. And God has proven over and over that he is with me as I walk through this valley and I walk through the shadows that death has cast upon my pathway. 
and I feel the presence of God, the hand of God, the touch of God as I walk through this. And and then David said, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And I pictured it today like this. As I'm walking through this valley and the shadows of death are around me, there are many, there are many lingering spirits in these shadows that would attack, that would try to uh, knock me down to destroy me. And if it wouldn't be for the rod of God to, to fight these enemies away, and if it wouldn't be for the staff that I lean on that gives me strength to make it, I wouldn't make it through this. And I don't understand how people who don't have God, how they do make it through because I have leaned on him all the way through this. And he has proven over and over to be my strength, to be my very present help in this time. You know, when it comes to, uh, I think, asking God questions, I think a lot might depend, too, on, on you know, I think God knows uh, our motives and our, our attitudes. For example, like Cain, am I my brother's keeper? I don't think he had the right attitude when he was questioning God. But I think, what, I think if we're struggling, like, why, God? And I think, I think he understands, and, and there's a difference there. So yeah. Earlier, before we started, um, we, were, we were kind of talking, you said people were with, uh, you know, around you and... and um, um, were there any things that people would say to you that you you kind of wish they hadn't said or, you know, that was kind of counterproductive to the situation? I believe that different people take statements differently than others. Early on, I made up my mind that when people made comments such as, I don't have the words to say, uh, or someone would make the statement, when you get over this. You know, it, it's, it's impossible to have the words to say. And it's also impossible to get over this. We may get past, we may get past it, but we never get over it. And what I mean by getting past it is it will always be there. It will always be following us. We, it, it will be there at all times. So a person never gets over this. And I believe that that is, that is one thing that, that uh, hurts people is when people, and they mean well when they say it. They try, they're trying to say something to help. And, but that, you know, that's not the words. I had early on... Uh, I had opened my heart to someone and and I made a statement to them. I said, and with deep emotion, I said this. I said, you know, she was the center of my world. And the, the person said, well, I guess you'll have to find a new center then, won't you? Well, and I'm sure that they didn't mean to hurt when they said this. They were probably grasping for something to say. And... No, you don't find another center, not like that one. And, and also I had people say, well, you know, God will give you another wife, almost as if to say God will replace her and, and you uh, will just go on with life and, and, and you'll be okay because she's been replaced. Well, it's different than buying a car, replacing an automobile. You know, it's different than replacing just some item or object in life. You know, no, nobody can completely replace replace this. We we must be careful. You know, uh, when people would say, uh, "Brother Wilson, I don't have the words to say." I don't know what to say. At first, I kind of, you know, wondered. It, it was it was kind of hard to hear it. And then one day, I was praying about it, and and I really feel like the Lord gave me something that I had never thought about. And from then on, when someone would say, "Brother Wilson, I don't, 
have the words to say. I wish I knew what to say. If I only knew what to say. And I heard that more than I heard anything. And I feel like the Lord gave me something in this, that when people make that statement, what they're actually saying is, I want to take your hurt away. And if I could just say something that would help you. And so from then on, whenever someone would say that, I took it gave me peace because I knew they really, really cared. And also I was praying about it and and the Lord the Lord gave this to me. No, they don't have the words to say. It's impossible for them because I have not put those words in the human language, but I am the word. And so when people would say, I don't have the words to say, instantly I would hear the voice of God say, but I am the word. And then I would ask him to begin to speak the word, and he has done it. He has done it so many times. You know, uh, just to kind of follow along with that, you, you mentioned earlier that, I mean, you know, everybody, we all have our own personalities, and I'm sure everyone listening here has been to funerals and you meet the family. I mean, are there any do's or don'ts for people, or is it best? Can you just look at a person and just, I mean, just kind of, you said you said something about you, you could see in people's eyes that they were sincere, and they, but they just kind of were struggling. Yes, you know, sometimes as humans, we think we we have to say something. You know, we, we just, we've got to say something. But many times, it's just better to just lay lay our hand on the grieving person's shoulder or to look them in the eye and say, I love you and I'm praying for you and I'm here for you. Just being there means more than someone just trying to think of something to say. Many people are uncomfortable at funerals and at wakes because they don't know what to say. The truth is we don't have to say anything. Just being there uh, lets the person know that they have strong support. And, and so... You know, to look at them and to to offer help in any way uh, is really, really all that needs to be say said, unless unless there is something that you feel will help. You know, um, you know that kind of reminds me of of a time in my life when I had to deal with grief. Um, I had. I had this this thought, man, I should have done something. I should have done something different. I should have, you know, you go through those things in your head. If you would have known this was going to happen, would there have been things you would have done differently? Well, my wife and I had a great understanding. Early in our marriage, we learned how to talk to each other. And... We had great communication, and so, therefore, we 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 talked, we talked constantly. It was when we traveled, we talked. When we sat at home, we talked. You know, we we uh, had great communication. And when I look back, I can't really see, and I thank God for this. I really can't see a lot that I would have done differently. One thing that I, I feel that uh, people need to understand is that a spouse needs to know beyond a doubt that you love them. And I remember sitting at the in her chair, I believe it was the afternoon or the next day after she had passed away, and I'm just overcome with grief and 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 my children, I have three grown children, and they were standing and sitting around my chair. And I looked at them and I, I said, Do you think that she knew beyond a doubt that I loved her? 
And the look on my kid's face, my children's face, said it all. But they spoke. My oldest son said, Dad, Mom was constantly saying, nobody could love me like your dad loves me. Then my daughter spoke up and she said, Dad, she said, didn't Mom tell you? And, and she did. She said, didn't Mom tell you? that several times I said to her, when I get married, I want a husband that will love me like my dad loves my mom. My youngest son knew. You know, and the look on my children's face when I said that, they said, Dad, beyond a doubt. And the reason being is because I told her every day that I loved her. And I'm not bragging on myself or pinning roses here, but when I look back, and and i and i think on this there's a peace that comes with this that goes beyond uh anything because you know other things is because you know and so i'm thankful that we had that kind of relationship where i was constantly picking at her and flirting with her and and <laughs> you know and uh laughing with her and and telling her that i loved her and so there, there are no regrets. There are no regrets there. And I, I thank God for that. You know, we, we did. We had a great communication. Well, kind of, kind of along those lines then, um, again, obviously this was an, an, an unexpected uh, loss, but uh, are there any suggestions you can give uh, for other couples to to prepare for this type of situation, if there is any way to, possible to prepare. Yes, there is. There's two or three things that I would like to talk about. And one thing is to make sure. That is the main thing, to make sure. You're not wasting your time. You know, you're, you're, it, it's really important to spend time with, your, with the one that you love, to spend time with them. Life is going on. There's so many things in life that we think must be done that can wait. And whenever we uh, look back and we know that we have done these things, there is peace. There's a peace that comes with this. Another thing is, and I've heard this all across the country, and this is really important. All across the country, I've heard men and women, husbands and wives, make this statement. If anything happened to my wife or if anything happened to my husband, I have no idea what to do as far as business is concerned because they take care of the business. You know, the truth is, in some in some families, uh, the husband is the businessman. But in other families, the wife is better at business than the husband is. And so whatever works for that family is the way it should work. And But there needs to be an understanding such as my wife took care of the bills. She's the one that paid the bills. She's the one you know made sure business. One reason was because I wasn't home a lot to take care of this. Well... It had been over 30 years since I had taken care of the bills. But I knew. I knew who we owed. I knew what we owed. I knew when when uh, each uh, thing would be paid off. I knew how long. And, you know, we had an understanding. I knew where the, where the, where the budget book was. I knew how to go in and look at it. And we had... We had times where we would sit down and she would go over, you know, everything with me. And so after she passed away, I had no surprises. She was she was quite organized. I had no surprises at all. And and I know this is personal, but the only thing was I didn't realize how much technology had walked off and left me through the years. And so my children stepped in and helped me set up uh, where I could take care of 
of, of my business and um, and use technology to do it. But other than that, I knew everything. And it was, you know, so many people go through a such trauma when this happens because they think, what am I going to do? And, and I have no idea what's going on. It is important. It's of utmost importance that both husband and wife know what's going on in their business. You know, recently, uh, uh, Pastor uh, Booker just preached on finances, and, yeah. and people often ask who whose does it. He says, "Whoever's the best at it." But like you said, you know, um, you all whether if someone's doing the day to day detail work of it, uh, the other people definitely have to. The other partner has to definitely be involved and know what's going on because because there's decision making, especially in finances. You know, uh, someone may handle the books, but you all got to come to agreement on on what you're getting and purchasing that sort of thing. But yeah, whoever's the best at it. Well, great. Uh, we have a couple more questions to ask. Um, one of them uh, is, have you ever asked God, why? Why, God? Why, why did this have to happen? I think that most everyone that goes through this at some point does ask God why. My asking God why was not against God, but it was more so, you know, that God, I, I needed her so much. And my children, my children needed her. And so the why came in there, but not ever confronting God or charging God. That's never, that's never been. Why is a human question. And we do want to know why. But there are, there are some things in life that we'll never know why. And we just have to learn to lean on God and trust God. And because he is all wise and he is all knowing. And when God looks down upon us, he sees the end from the beginning and everything in between. And he knows what he's doing. And so we need to be careful when we ask why. Our attitude toward God needs to be needs to be an attitude of respect. And but why is a human question? And if a person asks why, they don't need to feel bad because they ask why. You know, we as I said before, we we look and we see that Job asked God questions and David and the prophets, the disciples, the apostles, all through the years, you know. Uh, it's a human question. It's normal to ask God why. And maybe one last question. Uh, you know, you've gone through this this loss um, over the last year and uh, seven months. Uh, have has this have, has what you've gone through benefited somebody else in any specific ways? I prayed early on. I prayed for God to help me to help others. The prayer that I prayed was, God, I don't want this to be all about me, but I want somehow as I go to learn how, and please give me opportunity to to help others with this. And as I help them, don't let it, don't let me put forth that it is about me, but that it is about them. And you know, there's a healing that comes with that. There's a healing that comes with that. Because as we help others, God automatically helps us. And there have been times in this that that I have gone to others who were going through similar situations. And I'm hurting on the inside, and I'm just but as I began to talk to them about their problem and their situation, many times in my conversation, answers come to me because I'm, I'm thinking, well, here I am telling them this. I need to apply that to myself also. It's like preaching, you know, 
a lot of people don't realize that sometimes us preachers we're we're preaching to ourselves also, and um, so you know I want you know I want to help others. There's there you know and family members have have questions too. You know sometimes they don't understand why we react or don't react the way that we do. I always thought my wife and I were so close that. Um, I always thought that if anything happened to her, that I would just fall apart and that I wouldn't be able to even arrange a funeral. Well, and and which brings me to something that many people have asked, and I've had people come to me and and tell me that they were upset with family members because they didn't cry at their mother's funeral or their father's funeral or the family and what they don't understand is when when something happens sometimes the human emotion is so traumatized is so shocked that that your emotions are completely out of balance and you just and you don't do what you normally normally would do Um, my children were awesome during this time of their mother's death, uh, they sang in her funeral. I um, I spoke in her funeral, and we didn't cry, you know. We didn't. And later on, I thought, how did we do that? Well, there were two things that happened. Number one, we were in shock, but number two, there was a, a peace, and the hand of God was upon us. Uh, but what people don't realize is a person may not cry or they may not show great emotion at a loved one's funeral, but we don't see what they do when they get by themselves. We don't know what they go through. And many times it's, you know, it's, it's a whole lot worse, you know, than what people, what people uh, would think, you know. Wow. Um, well, thank you, Reverend Wilson, for being with us today. Um, if anybody right now is, is listening and is going through something like this, do you have any encouraging words to help them? You know, what I would say is the thoughts that you have aren't always the way that it actually is. There are many, there are stages of grief. And with each stage, there are questions. And there, there are times when a person feels like it's over. You know, it's, this is the end of the road. I can't go on. How can I go on without that person? They were such a part of my life. Uh, my future, I have no future. But that is not true. And the only way to make it is to just take it one day at a time and to spend time. Don't, don't try to hold your emotions intact, but find time to cry. Find time to vent. Uh, find somebody that that doesn't mind you talking to them. I had a close friend of mine. I had more than one friend that lost their wives. And I remember I was driving down the road with one of them, and he was, this, this brother was completely uh, alone. And it was, it was a really sad, real sad. This was several years before I lost my wife. And we're driving down the road, and he says, he said, Brother Wilson, he said, you're going to get tired of hearing me talk. And my words to him that day were, you're my friend. I may not have the words to say, but I promise you I will never get tired of hearing you talk. You talk, and I will listen. And if I can say something, I will. If I can't, 
You just know that I'm with you. And and he did many times. And would tell me the same things over and over again as the days would go. I never dreamed that my day would come at that point. And I have been blessed with people that have just sat and listened to me talk. So find somebody that doesn't mind listening. And they're, they're out there. You know, they, they will listen. Um, don't, don't fall into this feeling that you've got to, that you are um, a weight on everybody. You know, get out. And go, you know, do things with other people. Stay busy. And uh, I have another friend of mine, that a preacher friend that lost his wife, and and he told me that he would get up in the morning and he would he would just go all day. He would work. He'd do all kinds of stuff, and just at night he would just be exhausted, and he'd just take a shower and fall in the bed and go to sleep, and wake up the next morning and start over again. This helped him get through. You know, and the Lord sent him another wife and a good wife, you know. And so, you know, life is not over. We have to keep living. Right. We can't. There's no such thing as giving up, really. I mean, what do you do? Dig a hole and fall into it? You still have your mind to deal with. And so why not just get up and make yourself keep going? It's hard at first. But it does pay off in the long run. Well, Brother Wilson, I know this has uh, probably been a difficult time. Uh, and I know of just, just sitting here and feeling the presence of God and right. feeling the lump in my throat and the tears welling up my eyes. And I know that I've, I've taken some uh, good lessons and, and things that you've said. And, and uh, I think I just before my first pastor, when we first got in church, uh, passed away, one of his last messages was called uh, Set Your House in Order. I think there's some things I want to make sure that with my wife, we've had some discussion before, kind of more joking, like, well, I'm going to go before you, or you, <laughs> you know, but I think we, there's some things we just want to make sure that we, there probably are some good preparations right. you can do and just have that communication, talking, yeah. but just loving God and praying together and, and there's some good stuff today. Thank well, you. I want to thank Pastor Booker and you brethren for giving me this opportunity to speak. This is exactly what I prayed about. And so today is an answer to prayer. And I pray that something that I've said today will help somebody. Uh, this, is, this is what it's all about. Is we've got to help each other make it through life. Amen. And God gives us, and our experiences are to be used to help other people. And as we help other people, as I've already said, God just automatically helps us. And so I thank you for this opportunity. Allow me to speak my heart today. God bless you. you, Thank you. you. All right. um, For those of you who would like to leave a comment um, or questions, you can always contact us at podcast at inlandlighthouse.com. And once again, uh, we want to thank Reverend Scott Wilson for being here with us. And uh, we'll see you guys on the next podcast.